Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. Welcome back to another episode of The Lucrative Society. I am super excited to introduce you to my guest today because not only does he have a lot of wisdom to share, he is a very dear friend. So Peter Billigas, welcome to the show. Thank you and thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have you. I almost couldn't do that intro without dropping into accent like you and Sean mm-hmm. yeah. used to speak to each other. <laughs> <laughs> but I am, I am truly delighted to have you here. Uh, One of the reasons that I'm so interested in what you have to say is that you have a unique perspective because you've not only had experiences with wealth yourself in your life, but you teach on this topic. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be able to come from all different directions for our audience today. So that's going to be awesome. I'd love to begin just so our listeners can get a sense of who you are and kind of what you've been up to. If you could give a little bit of your entrepreneurial journey up until this point that will just give them a a starting point? Sure. Uh, So when I was in college, um, I got into a lot of credit card debt, or not a lot, but enough to scare a college student. And I dug my way out of it. And in digging my way out of it, I started to read a lot of books about personal finance. And I realized that all of those books were written by somebody who was older and wealthier. And I got the idea to write a personal finance book for young people, for college students, uh, written by somebody who was in college. And um, I wrote the book. I managed to publish it with a major publisher. And sort of the natural progression for authors, especially nonfiction authors, is to jump into the speaking business. And I started to give speeches starting for free at the Lions Club or a high school, or they just paid for my gas. And then slowly, I was able to raise my fee to eventually be able to do that uh, full time. Uh, During that sort of transition from selling the book to actually becoming a full time speaker, I did work uh, a bunch of jobs in the financial world. Um, I became a financial advisor. Uh, I am no longer one. I now just write and speak full time. But I was a real estate broker. I worked for H&R Block. I eventually taught for H&R Block. Uh, I taught for New Hampshire Housing and uh, just did all these different work in the title industry, just did all these different things until I finally was able to just write uh, and speak full time. And so that was probably 16 years ago that I made that jump. And since then, I've spoken in 49 states. I'm still trying to get Alaska. I've spoken all over the world in Japan, in the Middle East, in South Korea, uh, Costa Rica, and all over Europe. And now, uh, at least for the last couple months, I've been staying in one place. But um, that's what I do. I'm a full-time professional speaker and author. And my sort of niche has been uh, in the money management uh, world. Awesome. So you are the perfect person to ask my next question. Sure. How would you define wealth? I I define wealth very simply. I define it as freedom. And it's coming to a place where you can make the choices that you want to make and not the choices that you have to make. So there's always going to be some choices we have to make because, you know, you, you live in a society with laws and you can't do whatever you want. Uh, as we kind of know right now, there's uh, <laughs> a lot more restrictions right now. But really, it's, 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 uh, it's a freedom. It's a freedom where you have the resources 
to do what you want uh, to do and are not forced to do the things you don't want to do, unless, you know, those are sort of the, the basic things of society that we all agree on. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, you can't, you know, drive your car 120 miles down the highway. It doesn't matter what your wealth is. But it's that point where, where you say, I, I have uh, everything that I need, and I am able to, by and large, uh, do the things that, that I want to do. Cool. So one of the things that I'm really interested in all the time and speaking with the guests about is that integration point of wealth. So for you, if we just say that that's freedom Mm -hmm. and then happiness, because I would say some people may feel a lot of freedom in terms of the financial aspect. They maybe can make those choices and do the things that they want to do. But how does that integrate with happiness? So I think that's a good question. And I certainly would say that somebody, you know, we can become unhappy by being forced to do something that makes us unhappy. Maybe that's a, uh, a job that we don't like, or maybe that's a second job that we don't like, or maybe it's an industry that we like, but it's under a boss that we don't like, and we'd like to move or whatever, but we can't because we're tied to this, this money. So I do think that, that the more freedom you have, the, the happier you are because you are free to pursue that happiness, whatever that is that, that makes you, that ever, that makes you happy. If you're not free, and I'm, I'm not talking about somebody who's, you know, in a jail or something, but somebody who just might feel trapped of like, I, you know, I enjoy going for a bike ride, but I can't do that because I have to go to my second job or I can't travel because I don't have the funds to travel or I can't, whatever, you know, I can't go out to dinner because I don't have the, the money to, to do that. The interesting thing, though, is, you know, when people, you ask me about wealth, and I really, when I talk about wealth, what I really try to focus on or, or steer away from is the word money, because that, but that's not all of it. And sometimes we create a lot of unhappiness by thinking just about money and thinking just about, well, I just, if I had more money, then I could solve these things uh, or what these challenges or whatever I'm going through. But, you know, we also get to decide what makes us happy. And we're constantly bombarded with advertisements that are trying to tell us, well, this thing over here will make you happy. And all of those advertisements that are trying to tell us that this thing over here will make you happy are all tied to spending money. And so, you know, one of the things that that we can do is simply start thinking about what makes us happy that maybe doesn't cost any money or maybe costs a lot less money. And uh, so that's kind of a way that you can get to that happiness place, regardless of how much money may or may not be coming in. And thank you. You just summarized the whole point of this show perfectly, because that's my intention. It's not just about the money. And yes, money's fantastic, but there is so much more to this equation. So on that topic of happiness, when in your life do you find yourself to be most happy? Uh... Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would say, I mean, the, the obvious answer is, is it's not just doing something that I love, okay? Because that's kind of, you know, we could all say that. But part of it is doing the things that I love, but feeling it's okay to do those things. So I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the things that I've been working on for a little while, which I've just had a wonderful experience with, is writing my very first fiction book. So I've written three nonfiction books, but I've, uh, but I've been working on my first fiction book. 
And people ask me like, hey, do you, do you ever get writer's block? And I honestly don't, I don't get writer's block, but I do get writer's guilt. And writer's guilt is when I'm working on this fiction book that at the moment has not made any money. And I say, Peter, what are you doing working on this thing that doesn't make any money? You should be working on these other things that, that do make you money, you know, calling people to get another speech, sending out a mailing or, or whatever that, that is. So, you know, I enjoy working on the novel that brings me happiness, but it's, it's taken a little while to come to that place of to say, it's okay to work on this particular thing and not worry about whether it's making money or not. I'm doing it because it, it makes me happy. It's the equivalent of going for a bike ride for somebody else or going fishing or going to yoga class or whatever. So I want to dig into that because mm-hmm. as soon as you said writer's guilt, I'm like, oh gosh, that sounds way worse than writer's block. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And you and I, we've had conversations about guilt. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of that comes from uh, religious upbringing and things like that. So what I would love to know from your perspective is how do you get past that writer's guilt? Like what have you had to do or what is the the mindset shift or, or whatever it was for you? How do you get through that? So that's a great question. One of the things that really helped me was to admit a truth, which is you just don't know, or I just don't know, or we just don't know. So in my head, I'm, um, you know, one of the things to to bring it up, um, one of the things that Sean would always say is he would always say that you will always find the evidence you're looking for. That if you have this belief that, you know, there are no, uh, that publishers don't sign unknown authors, you'll find all the evidence to confirm your belief. But the truth is, is that you're, you're only looking at the evidence that you're, that you're looking at. You're not looking at all of the evidence, which is impossible because you never know. You can't know what all of the evidence is. And so in my head right now, or, or while I was suffering from my writer's guilt, struggling with it, I would look at the evidence saying, well, Peter, you're writing this fictional book. It doesn't make any money. You, you can work on it, but it has to be the last, 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 last priority after you've done all the other things. Because the evidence clearly shows this is not going to make any money. But who knows how much money that is or is not going to make. Uh, and that's true with anything. If people say, I want to be a professional speaker, and other folks might say there's no money in that, well, if you honestly believe that, you'll find all the evidence you need to confirm that belief. Or, you know, I can't lose weight, or I can't meet someone, or I can't buy a piece of real estate. Whatever it is, if, you're, if you have that belief and it's so strong, you're going to confirm uh, all of that evidence. Now, that can be a wonderful thing when that's a positive belief, but it can be very damaging when it's, when it's sort of a negative belief that, that's holding you back. So I just took the position that, you know, I do this because it makes me happy and maybe it makes me money. Maybe it does not. But the things that have already made me money, I'm going to use that money to create more happiness. And one of the ways I create more happiness is carving out the time to write. So it kind of goes in this, this big loop. And sometimes we can just jump straight to exactly what it is that we want to do. You know, I think that we have to say whatever the venture is or whatever makes us happy or whatever, that we don't know what's possible. We at least have to admit that. And we don't know what's impossible. We have to admit that. 
So trying to, to justify it in our heads, which I'm certainly guilty of, is not a very worthwhile exercise. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I arrived at, at that, it, kind of recognizing that truth that I just don't know. I love that. I think that's super helpful. So let's talk about friendship. You and I were introduced by Sean. Sure. You and Sean were friends forever, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I came on the scene. You were already a longtime friend of his. So you guys go way back. And collectively, we we have had some hilarious, (laughs) really awesome experiences together. I mean, when I think of you, I just think about laughing. I mean, we have laughed our asses off (laughs) collectively, most especially probably at the lunatic that was my husband. (laughs) (laughs) So how has friendship, I, I will say this helped because I'm just making that assumption, helped in your progression of your wealth understanding of happiness of this whole experience of like you recognizing the freedom that you have to make those choices. How how does friendship insert itself in that? Oh, so many ways. Sometimes um, to get over some sort of negative belief uh, or a belief that's holding you back, you just need a, someone else to say it, someone else to tell it to you. And Sean was certainly someone who never held back, uh, didn't pull any punches. And, and I have a lot of friends like that, that are just like, what are you doing? You know you can achieve this. You already did it. Why are you even worried about it? I think, and, and you know, this, we, we really feel this now in this, in this isolation time of just how valuable our friends are just to be near them. That, you know, for me, like I'm, I'm a single person, so I live alone, but I've always been able to just go out and be with other people. So there, there is that um, feeling of being close to someone. I think the other thing with, with, with friendships is that we have to remember that there are certain things that are hard for you that are super easy for me. And then there are things that are super easy for you that, that I would consider borderline impossible. And sometimes, you know, a friend can be that person who just, whatever you're struggling with, they can just make it go away by snapping their fingers because that just, we're all different and we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes your friends can be uh, the strength that, that you may not have in your life and may never get, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily need to work on your weaknesses. You might have to associate or you might be connected with folks who can just do that. And, and, you know, Sean was certainly probably the best connector I knew of how he could just plug different people together and see their strengths and, and what they maybe were working on and saying that this person needed some help with this, but this person can easily fix that or take care of that particular thing. You know, I think what my friends, uh, especially in the business that I've been in the speaking business, which I think is a, kind of unusual in this sense is just how willing people are to just share stuff. You know, I've met people in this business and they've said um, just crazy things like, oh, I have a mailing list of all the New England colleges. Do you, would you like it? And I'm like, what? You know, just give it to me. Um, yes, and I in, <laughs> right. And in doing that, you kind of feel compelled to do that exact same thing and sort of creating this world 
of abundance. And that's one thing that the, the friends that I've made have, have really helped with where, you know, there, there is sometimes this human desire to just hold on to stuff because you may lose it. Toilet paper being the recent example of that, right? You know, where we, people grabbed it because they were afraid it would never, they would never have any more. But what, what my friendships have taught me is that sharing more and giving more really does multiply uh, whatever it is you are trying to get, that it does come back to you. And it often, and it, it may not come back to you in the way that you thought it would, but it comes back in different ways sometimes that far exceed your expectations. Yeah, awesome. So let's talk about curiosity. One of the things okay. that, that Sean brought to the table was getting very interested in what people are curious about. And I love this conversation because even where, like I've known you for a long time, and I know certain things that probably are on that list but I guarantee you there's a bunch of other stuff that I'm like what you're interested in that how fun maybe I am or maybe I'm not and then I just know that about you so if you could list five six like what are you curious about okay so a few things um I am very interested in quantum physics yes and this idea that because I, I am a very spiritual person. I am a, uh, a Catholic. And what's, what's so interesting to me about quantum physics is that we often think that, that religion is over here and science is over here and never the two shall meet. But the more I learn about quantum physics, the more that I see it's so close to what religion has been talking about. And that to me is just, is just fascinating. And it's also fascinating to me that we have these the laws of physics or what they call Newtonian physics. And these quote laws are laws, except on the quantum level. It's like, well, actually forget that's not true at all. Just throw it all away, you know? And that's kind of mind blowing where, you know, quantum physics will say things like that table that you're looking at actually isn't there when you're not looking at it. I mean, things that just kind of like you can't wrap your head around. So that, that certainly is very interesting to me saving the environment in the interesting ways that we can do that. And uh, something that I would call the uh, net environmental effect, that that to me is a very uh, interesting kind of discussion to have. Um, And what I mean by a net environmental effect is if I, for example, had an acre of trees, is it better for me, is it better for the environment to just leave the acre of trees or cut down all the trees and put up solar panels. And which one of those, you know, is better net, the net result for the environment? Or take a simpler example, is it better to get a brand new heating system immediately or throw or use the current one for as long as you possibly can rather than throwing it into the landfill or recycling? Um, so those are two things that, that really just kind of spark my curiosity. Awesome. So there's a framework that I use on every episode with each guest. Mm-hmm. It's called HERB, H-E-R-B. And I'll walk okay. you through each step. So the H stands for habits. What are some of the habits that have allowed you to have the success that you have, do the things that you want to do? Like what are some of your either daily, weekly, monthly habits? One habit is as often as I possibly can, I try to get up early. I am a morning person. It, when I do get up at five, I get more done between five and 
I get more done before 9 a.m. than I will if I got up at 8 and worked the whole day. That is certainly one uh, habit that has worked for me. Uh, Exercise as well, especially in the morning. When I exercise in the morning, it's just a completely different experience for me. I don't know if you would call this a habit uh, or a lifestyle, but I am very good at keeping my expenses low. And that just allows a lot of flexibility, sort of the way that it my whole life is structured. It's just been, you know, it allows me to, to have that flexibility, to, to have that freedom by sort of keeping my, you know, fixed costs, if you will, low. All right. And then moving on to the E, E is for environment. Okay. Do you allow in or not allow in to your environment? I do not allow in, or if they've, find their way in, I politely, you know, show them the door. Um, I I really want to be around people who build me up and not push me down. And, you know, that (laughs) being a professional speaker, a lot of my friends are motivational speakers to begin with. So you you get a lot of that, Uh, get a lot of people who build you up automatically. But even my friends who are not there, I know that they're looking out for me. And even if they're they think an idea is dumb or they're kind of negative about something, they're still doing it with, I believe, my best interests at heart uh, and not something that they're struggling with, their own jealousy or own limitations or something like that. Another one, this is kind of more recent, but I've kind of been blown away by how powerful this is. Um, I don't allow clutter in my life. And I'm talking about physical clutter, just stuff. This summer, for the first time ever, I hired a um, professional organizer. And we organized my office, and I got rid of things that I never, ever thought I would get rid of. So I got rid of uh, half of my books, which I thought, you keep books forever. You never, nope, half of them are gone. And then I also got rid of stuff that I totally even forgot I had, like an oil bill from 2008. And... (laughs) You know, that oil bill from 2008 was just sitting in a file cabinet. So it wasn't like scattered everywhere, but it was just, there was just stuff. And uh, since then, I've gone through other rooms in my home. Um, She's coming back and we're going through my kitchen, believe it or not. Oh. Yeah. So even things like I'm not going to have any extra spatulas in my life. Um, But I can't, I cannot tell you how powerful that's been. It's sort of like, well, who cares or what is an extra spatula in your kitchen going to do for your writing career, for your romantic life or whatever? I don't know, but I'm telling you it was a very powerful exercise to just get rid of this stuff. By the way, that office that we went through, I think it was in July of 2019. It's still clean. Nice. Okay. Now this is very intriguing to me because I know you and for the listener, Sean and I would always give Peter a hard time because the one thing that he needs everywhere is an iron. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like <laughs> your, yourself, your clothing, the way that you present on stage and in real life, we were just talking right before the recording about how regardless of what Peter is doing, he is dressed and ready to be professional. How that, like I'm fascinated to know about this clutter that was in your space. Yeah. So the thing about my clutter was it, you, if you came into my home, you wouldn't see stuff everywhere. It's not like I'm on that show hoarders or whatever, 
but there you would you would say see a piece of furniture and there's nothing on top of the furniture but there was stuff just in the drawers just yeah. stuff so it visually it doesn't you know affect the room or it doesn't affect me but just knowing that it was in there and getting it out of there uh was a very powerful experience and i don't i don't know why but it just it was and well, do you think it's in some ways metaphorical like the way that you might have presented all of these years as like a very professional, well-dressed person, but then you've had to do the work internally to clear out the mental clutter and the stuff Mm -hmm. to get rid of that. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And I just, you like, you know, it's there, you know, that it's there. And then also, you know, in doing it, I found some things that made me happy because I'm like, oh, wait, I bought this or here's a (laughs) gift card. I never use this, you know? Uh, So that was a very, very powerful um, exercise. And I could not, you know, recommend that enough, Um, especially to to folks uh, who may not be thinking of it because they may be kind of like me where you look around, you're like, oh, this place is pretty clean. It's fine. But just getting that stuff out has been, um, has been a, well, I'll say this. So I got rid of half my books but now I actually read more and cause I, all the books are now organized and they're uh, it's, it's very easy to find one. Whereas in the past I had books in my office, books in my living room, books in my bedroom and to find a book and say, Oh, where was that book on whatever? I would have to go to all three rooms and look. And I just said, ah, forget it. I won't you know, do it. But now it's very easy for me to find everything. That's kind of the less is more with less books. I read more. I love that you just said that because I have had the exact same experience. I don't know if you know this, but I basically got rid of everything that we owned after Sean died. And Mm -hmm. so my life right now is very minimal. And with books, especially, I had bazillions of books. Right. Now I have like some. I probably still have a lot compared to most Mm -hmm. people, but I get it. And I've been reading more too. So that's very interesting that you just said that. So moving on to the R, R stands for resources and resources can be either books or programs or mentors, experiences that you've done. What resources have made a big impact in your life and that you might recommend to others? I would say uh, other resources certainly have been my friends for sure. Um, Folks that, like I said, some people can do stuff that's hard for me that's just effortless for them and being able to call on them and having their permission to call on them and not being afraid to just ask them uh, has been a, a huge benefit in my life. And, you know, one of the things that Sean used to talk about all the time was taking a look at your friends and who you're hanging out with. And, you know, there may be some, for lack of a better term, a, a clutter friend. Or Sean used to use ABC friends, where, you know, an A friend would be an A plus friend. Uh, A B friend is a be careful. That's, we're not sure about that person. And then a C friend was a a see you later friend. Somebody who maybe should not be in your life. Another uh, resource that's been very, very helpful lately has been the book, uh, The Miracle Morning by Al Elrod. What I love about that book is you can... um, you know, it's, it's basically a, a morning routine, but it's one that uh, it's up to you. It can take 90 minutes or more, or it can take five minutes, literally. And that's what, what has helped me. Cause like this morning I did my miracle morning in about eight minutes, you know, but I did it. 
another thing that is I've gotten back into, which is again, part of the, that miracle morning is journaling is writing stuff down. So that's certainly been a big, a big help just gathering my thoughts, those kinds of things. And then I think something that's helped me a lot is not, not only having the big goals, but making sure I have what I would refer to as the can't fail goals. And the can't fail goal, I just did one before this call. I went for a mile walk. Okay. I said, I'm just, it's a beautiful day here in New Hampshire. I said, I'm just going to go out before this call, before the day gets too crazy. And I'm just going to walk for a mile. That's it. And now I feel like I just accomplished something because I, because I did, you know, granted I didn't sell a million dollars worth of product today, but I accomplished something. And, you know, we can sometimes get inspired by our goals, but we can sometimes get very frustrated because they just seem so far away. And that's not to say don't have a big goal, but make sure there are those little tiny steps of literally ways that you can't, can't lose with that particular goal. I guess the, the, the final thing that uh, it was a resource that Sean gave me uh, was just this mindset where he would say, always ask what's funny about this. And that's been such a gift because, you know, you get a flat tire in the rain on the way to a job interview. Well, that sucks. So how do you deal with it? You can change the tire and be late for the job interview and show up soaking wet. That's probably what's going to happen. But you can also say what's funny about this. You have a story to tell. And even if you can't figure it out, it does make those situations a lot easier. Yeah, I love that. So the B in herb stands for beliefs. Mm-hmm. What are, in terms of your, your worldview, the way that you look out at the world and you say, this is the way that the world works, what are one or two beliefs that have really helped define who you are? I would say, number one, anything is possible. Okay, you, you, like I said before, you just don't know. And don't get caught up in the evidence trying to think that you know. Number two, I would say I'm very careful who I judge because I have no idea what they're going through. And I'm, sometimes I'm shocked by what people are going through. I can remember, I'll give you a story that when I was in um, very early on starting out in my speaking business, I had this very naive view, I guess, of the world because I have lived in the same place pretty much my whole life. I went to college somewhere else, but I started speaking and I was in all these different places all throughout the country, uh, urban cities, rural areas, different students, different races, different faces, different places. And I remember this, this young woman came up to me. She was like a first year college student. So she was probably 18 years old. And she said, uh, my identity was stolen. What do I do? And I say, well, what you need to do is you need to file a police report. And then in filing that police report, you can eventually send that to the credit card company, uh, the credit reporting agencies, and they'll take those items off of your credit report. And I thought, boom, I did my job. You're welcome. There we go. And then she got very quiet and she said, well, there's one problem. And I said, what is that? And she said, it was my mom who stole my identity. And so by filing, if she filed that police report, then that would mean that she could theoretically send her mom to jail. So I learned, you know, and, and so in, I remembered that story as I went throughout my whole speaking career 
when somebody says, I can't save any money, I'm broke, or my credit is terrible, okay, maybe it's because they're lazy, sloppy, or whatever, but maybe there's something like that behind it, and you just, you just don't know. And then the final thing is that I do think everyone is good, and when they're not good, or when they're struggling with something, uh, or they're doing something bad, I still think that they're trying. I think that they're trying and they just don't know how to get to where they need to, to get to. That definitely shows up in you and the way that you interact with not only people that you know, but people that you don't know. So yeah, huge props to you just with that, that respect that you have for everyone, I would say. So Peter, if people are interested in learning more about you, about your work, about what you've got coming up, what would be the best place to send them to? Uh, so they can go to my uh, website, uh, which is just my name, peterbillicus.com, and uh, they can find me there. I am on Facebook. Uh, I am on Twitter. Both of those have the handle Getting Loaded. And uh, folks can also find me on YouTube as well. I've got a show there called Money in the Movies, where we uh, review movies based on their financial accuracy. So it's kind of a fun way to use movies to teach about personal finance. Awesome. I will link to all of those in the okay. transcript, so they'll have direct access to that. And I'm really excited to let everybody know that you are also going to be involved with the Lucrative Speaker Summit okay. coming up in August. Give like a one minute brag because you've had so many different interesting experiences, successes. You've done a lot in the mm -hmm. speaking world and you like I'm excited for our audience because they will get to glean some of that wisdom and experience from you so could you just rattle off of a few of your like you've been in business how long like all these different things sure um so I've been in uh, been a professional speaker going on 16 years now like I said 49 states uh, several countries I have written three books on money management one of those was self-published. Two of those were with major New York publishers. I've spoken from crowds of up to, I think my biggest crowd was 3,500 people. Uh, one of the interesting things that I was able to do as a result of my speaking career, which is extremely rare, I did not realize how rare this was, is in, I think it was 2007, that the United States Navy actually flew me out on a five hour flight to land on an aircraft carrier to give a speech to a bunch of service members who were on the USS Abraham Lincoln uh, in the middle of the Indian Ocean. So that was just a wonderful chance to help our service members with their, with their finances because they have some unique challenges that civilians don't have and some unique opportunities that civilians don't have. Uh, but that was just an incredible experience to land on an aircraft carrier and uh, actually take off again on an aircraft carrier. There are people serving in the military for 20 years and they've never landed on an aircraft carrier before. Um, and I, w I had the opportunity uh, to do that. So that was kind of a, a cool thing. And that's what's really exciting about the speaking business is stuff like that does happen in different forms in different, different ways. Yeah, I love that. The, the stories that you've told me about that, just the, even the physical experience of being sure. launched off of that thing yes, is right. pretty crazy. Yep. So if you all want to hear more about that, definitely check out lucrativespeaker.com, most especially because what's unique about you, Peter, is you know we have a lot of friends that are speakers. 
-hmm. But I would say the majority of them are not actually on stage as much as you have been. You're like, you're often traveling, you're often on stage, like a lot of the time. And I think those that are out there that are like, that's what I want, you know, that's Mm -hmm. the lifestyle that I, I want to create. I can't wait for them to hear what you've got to say. So again, that's lucrativespeaker.com. Check it out. And Peter, thank you so much. As always, it's awesome to spend time with you. Thank you. And again, thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the Lucrative Society on iTunes. And please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources or to become a member of the Lucrative Society, where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.